Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. We're putting the band back together. We're on a mission from God. New edition of Dropping In, Omar Ejiveri, myself, Cyrus Satsas, O-Dog for the first time in four episodes. We don't have a pro South African surfer joining us. Granted, the last three guests were incredible, but now we're going to another English-speaking country, still outside the U.S. This time we're talking about the United Kingdom. Dropping In is a world-renowned author on surfing. The man's written multiple books covering our great sport. And, um, and he has a new book out. That's the main reason he's with us, to promote that. The book is called Surf, Sweat, and Tears, The Epic Life and Mysterious Death of Edward George William Omar Deerhurst. Our guest is Andy Martin dropping in. Mr. Martin, how are you doing, sir? Cyrus, that was brilliant. That was such a long title as well. I, I feel <laughs> like apologizing for any words. That, it's a very long name. So I thought, you know, stick them all in, you know. Well, Andy, I guess first things first, and uh, I want to delve a lot about your career. I mean, you're a fascinating individual. You and I are both um, academics. I believe you teach in higher education, and and Omar's dad is a professor as well, so we got some of that higher ed going here. But the first things first is the subject of your new book. And I, so what caught my attention was the fact that your subject, A, is really one of the only British pro surfers I've ever heard of. I, I don't hear of many pro surfers coming out of England, but his name his full name is Edward George William Oscar Coventry, comma, Viscount Deerhurst. I've never seen a name that ridiculous in my life. I've never seen a <laughs> comma in a name before. Could you start by explaining why someone has a name that ridiculous? And that's my opinion, obviously. But why is his name so long? The comma is not absolutely obligatory. You know, it just depends how you stick it together, really. But you know, he just called himself Ted. So I, I guess I, mean, <laughs> I love you know, it. So that a single syllable. So that shuns it quite a lot. But yeah, technically, <clears throat> Viscount Deerhurst, because he was the son of the Earl of Coventry, and it must be said, uh, Minnie Medart, who was American, uh, so had an American mother, English father, mm-hmm. uh, and she was the daughter of what is popularly known as a hamburger millionaire back in the day. And, uh, you know, one, one of the pioneers of fast food, funnily enough, in the States. But, yeah, he got the Viscount thing from his dad. And uh, <laughs> they, they split up. So, in fact, he, he was brought up in, not far from you, Santa Monica. So, yes. uh, that, and that is where he learned to surf. And uh, then he was, as it were, kidnapped by his own father, age 15, and dragged back to England. And his mom was thrown in jail, moreover. And, wow. Um, so, yeah, so he was kind of torn between two cultures. That is, that's fa- that, that is fascinating. Omar, have, wow. so Omar's a former pro surfer, and he's obviously more in the world than I am because I never compete. I'm not good enough to ever compete. Omar, have you ever heard of this guy, Ted Deerhurst? I guess that's what we'll call him. Yeah, I've, I've heard urban legend. I mean, uh, obviously, myself spending a ton of time in the North Shore. I mean, yeah, you definitely heard about him. And I mean, I've been to, uh, I surfed the Cornwall Pro, I think three or four times. I've, uh, it's blurry. <laughs> my, <laughs> my tour days are blurry. But, um, but yeah, no, in, in reading about him, it, it's, he's, he's a character and a half. <laughs> which, uh-huh. which, hey, honestly, a lot of uh, my British surf friends that were on the tour, there were a couple. They were in the mix here and there, uh, you know, kind of on and off during the World Qualifying Series days that, you know, had your World Qualifying and then your CT um, upper level um, system, um, total characters. <laughs> total oh, oh, Mark, characters. can I just mention one thing that you and Ted share in common? Uh, it is yeah. the name, the name Omar. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, Omar slipped into his, you know, series of names, and no one is quite sure sure why. But you know, I, I like to think now maybe it's a little bit of an homage to you. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Thank you. And, and hey, I'm, this is what grabbed me. I, I, I just uh, glanced over it, read, read as much as I could in the past couple of days about this book. 
like what what made you grab onto him? I mean, I, I've like I just read a little bit about him. I'm like, dude, this guy sounds crazy. And, yeah. I, and, yes. I, and I heard some of the strip strip club stuff, and you know, <laughs> there's that whole like, don't mess. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, a little scary yeah. in those worlds. But but um, uh, what what made you decide to write about him, and and how did you hear about him? Super curious. You mentioned some of the elements there, but I, I suppose the thing is, I I I bumped into him on the tour because you know. For my sins, I became a surfing correspondent to newspapers back back in the UK. And, uh, you know, so I was reporting. And, and then I would, you know, run into Ted. And I, in a, I basically couldn't write a story about him because I would mention, hey, Lord Ted's here and so on. And editors right. back in England would say, what has he won recently? And my answer to that was, was not very satisfactory because he never actually won anything. But <laughs> the, the thing is, he, you know, he... It was like, you know, well, what did, you know, Don Quixote win exactly against windmills? So, but so he had that kind of legendary mythic kind of quality to him, even though, you know, technically, you know, his highest score was about 231 in the, in, on the world rankings. But um, he persisted. So I always admired that. And yeah. the other thing that ultimately drew me to him, apart from that that time, yeah, he took me to the strip club in Honolulu. <laughs> introduced me to the woman who was known as the perfect woman. Apart mm. from that, mm. uh, I had to write his obituary because, you know, listeners may not appreciate that he's been dead now over 20 years. And he died really young, wow. 40. Uh, he just turned 40. And um, I wrote his obituary back in London. I, I was not in Hawaii at the time. And I heard about 10 different versions of how it was that he died. So that, that you know, that resonated. And I really wanted to, I mean, you guys know the North Shore. And, and the reality is, you know, if you say to someone on the North Shore, hey, you know, what were, well, what was Bob doing? What were you doing, you know, like last Tuesday? You're liable to get a fairly hazy answer. And, you know, if you say, what, 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 what happened to Ted, you know, last Tuesday, 20 years ago? Right. You're, 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 it's, the answer is going to be even less satisfactory. And the reality is I was kind of, tormented by by the lack of knowledge i mean the north shore tends to be so kind of mythic in the way that it talks about things if you just mm -hmm. want a, some very simple empirical answer well what happened to ted exactly you're going to run run into a bit of a brick wall and especially if the dark side is involved the dark side of why is involved then you know you've got the principle of omerta kicking in as well so uh you know my my journalistic instincts were aroused and i really wanted to know what in heaven's name had happened to poor old ted <laughs> that's amazing and how, how did you dive into this did you go over to hawaii and, and uh, research it or you know literally find the people that were there i'm sorry i'm so curious because like i had friends that i hung out with that yeah. ended up in jail with major sentences and I, I didn't even know these guys I was hanging with on the North shore. And I'm like, Oh yeah, cool. Right on. So you were smuggling meth that I had no clue. <laughs> we were friends for 15 years and now you're locked up for 20. Okay. <laughs> but um, how did you go over there and dive into that and figure it yeah, out? It's a good question. And you know, there are still unanswered questions for me, but I, I suppose I took on this kind of, you know, um, forensic, you know, like a tech, an investigator, trying to sort of uncover yeah. what what really went on, because you, you run into this kind of, you know, fog of indifference, I guess, on, on, on the North Shore, or, hey, man, look, there's a big swell coming, be cool, <laughs> you know. Um, hey, Brad, don't worry about it. You ask a question, hey, Brad, don't worry about it. Yeah, it's that. You know exactly what I'm talking about, what? right? But, what does that and, mean? And normally, I'm fine with that, but I really wanted to know what the hell. And so yeah. the, the lucky thing for me, to, and I must give credit to him, by the way, is this guy, Duncan Coventry, who is the future Earl of Coventry, in fact, but cousin to Ted. And he got in touch with me, and he opened various doors for me, which otherwise would have been closed. So uh, put me in touch with various people that I knew Ted for about 10 years, but I didn't really know anything about his origins. And, and so Duncan was able to clue me in about that. But then in possession, okay, this is literally the case. I was in possession of a letter from the Coventry family with this lovely letterhead with, get this, a coronet 
on the top of it, no you know, like a little crown. Okay. Uh, giving me some kind of, you know, credibility as a kind of quasi relative to Ted. So with that in my possession, I was able to go to, you know, Hawaii Five-O headquarters in, in Honolulu and actually seek out not only the death certificate, but also the reports from the police uh, regarding his death and, mm -hmm. and that enabled me to then ultimately track down the, the last guy to, to see him alive. So, wow. uh, you know, it was like that, actually, a string of sort of, you know, connections and circumstances, I, I suppose. But in, in some sense, I just followed in his footsteps. So I, I went back to, to Australia where he'd lived for a long while. I, I tracked down his ex-wife. She was quite helpful. Numerous people now, well, on the, on the West Coast, but who had been in Hawaii and very often had run away from Hawaii. <laughs> Uh, they were also very helpful, but probably the least helpful people of all were the people who lived in Hawaii and um, kept, I, I bet. <laughs> and look, okay, here's uh. a terrible revelation. This came as a shock to me. I spoke to one policeman about, you know, the dark side of, of Hawaii. And I, I said, I, there was a particular, let's say, Mr. X that I, I wanted to speak to about this. And he goes, wow, hold on, man, Mr. X. You, you're kidding me, because he's like one of the bad guys. And I said, yeah, well, I know, but you're in the police force, right? So therefore, the bad guys are the people that you go after, aren't they? I mean, you know, I've seen Hawaii Five-0 and all those <laughs> programs and whatnot. And he said, wow, this, this is what surprised me. Hang on, are you kidding? We live here. They know where my family lives. I'm not going to go and mess with those guys. The so police that, were telling you that. Yeah. It, that's wow. right. I mean, okay, wow. off the record, because I'm not naming names, of course. Of course. But, but that was the, and I, I kind of get that, because without saying Hawaii is like Sicily, uh, dominated by the mafia, it's different. It, it isn't the same. But there are little pockets of mafia-like organizations within Hawaii. And I'm sorry if that, that comes as a terrible shock to No, those. Andy, no. Andy, Omar and I are very, yeah. Omar especially is very familiar with that. We've, okay. I mean, we've, been, yeah. we've been doing this for like almost 20 years and, and the, the lore of Hawaii being, uh, yeah, being home to some very gangster-like individuals yeah. is, is fairly known, at least among the, amongst those inside the surfing world. It is crazy. I mean, I, I, you're right. I don't want to mention names either. Um, no, hey, I, I'm not going to mention <laughs> situations, but there I was, there was um, a lot of things in our industry, you know, uh, folklore or, or things that were written about that I was right there for, that I, I visually saw, and I was visually told I didn't see him, and I ha I've, I've kept that pack with myself, <laughs> <laughs> and that's because I, I was on the world tour or the QS tour for 11 yeah. years, so every year I was there for about one to two months, and eventually you see stuff. And yep. then the, the growing up myself, my best friend's father was an FBI agent and, and uh, he was another professional surfer. And so we would hear a little bit of the deep dark. <laughs> we didn't want to oh. know before we'd go there. Yeah. We're like, we're like, what? That is, That's real? That, that is fascinating, <laughs> right? You had that kind of connection as well. It's so, insane. There, insane. If there's yeah. one thing I've learned, Andy, is that the more isolated the region, the more corrupt the region. And uh, it's because, I mean, A, there's less oversight be a much more of an intricate web of connections between law enforcement and individuals in the community. So like you said, mm -hmm. police are a little too connected perhaps, and they might be afraid, which seems to be the case here. Right. Well, um, you know, to, to be fair, I mean, Cyrus, I don't know <laughs> if you've ever had an experience like this, but you know, I've certainly as a journalist have had to make compromises over the ages because, yes. okay, you know, there was a specific case well, let us say Mr. Z in this case. Mr. Z had just come out of a trial and, and he got off about 20 charges. He had a very smart lawyer. Uh, my feeling was he was guilty as hell, but okay. <laughs> he technically was, he was at liberty and free man. Okay, not guilty, Your Honor. But um, so I, I met him at a party and I said, oh man, you know, in, in my naive, my, my innocence, this was some years ago. Oh, look, you know, I think, Jesus, it's such a good story, your story. Surely the, the readers back in London would, would mm -hmm. like to know about this. And I genuinely thought that. And uh, he says to me something like, I don't think that would be a good idea, man. 
and a couple of his henchmen also ran that point home to me. And I found very quickly that I was agreeing with him that it was not a very good idea. And I completely dropped that. And obviously, at one level, this was pure cowardice on, on my part. And I regret that. On the other hand, if you're doing this other job in, in, in Hawaii, you have to be able to walk, or it's handy to be able to walk, you know, mm -hmm. most of the time. So therefore, you think, mm, I'm going to let that story go and concentrate on <laughs> some of these other stories, you know. Right. Uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> We're just going to move on with life. Yeah. <laughs> no, Andy, it's obviously very, it's a very normal thing. It's just you and I are fortunate to live in a, in a westernized society where it does, it's not as prevalent, right? I mean, the moment you, you go into countries where free, freedom of the press doesn't exist, I mean, journalists are getting murdered left and right. So yeah. We, we just happen to be living in societies where we have rights and, and it's not yeah. as easy to, to take us out if we, if we give poor coverage <laughs> to someone. But I hear what you're saying. And Hawaii is certainly, I, don't think, I think, no exception to that. That's crazy. So I, I know well, you Hawaii, don't want to give... Hawaii's uh, on the edge, isn't it? Because it's got that kind of is. Wild West yes. feel about it. Don't, don't you agree? It uh, does. Because it's what makes it interesting. That's part of the attraction, of course. But, you know, you have Agreed. to watch a step when there's a kind of gunslinger walking down the middle of the streets. <laughs> <laughs> and, the cop, and the cops are afraid of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one that the blue light specials are like, no. Blue light special, of course, is, uh, came from, <laughs> they use their home car with a big blue siren on top. So <laughs> oh, man. You, in the old school North Shore, they're, you know, driving down the street in a lowered, you know, uh, Dotson with a, a blue light on top. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, so, right. <laughs> good stuff. So my question to you, I know I don't want to give away too much of the book. Um, does the book focus on um, him dying or I, just cause I, 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 or, read, how he died, right? like, or how he died or the life of him, uh, the tour aspect. Um, you, you don't have to, I don't want you to give away a lot, but what are some teasers and what does it focus on? Okay. Um, it, it, I try not to, to, to focus on, on the death because, you know, it would be a shame to define the life by, by, by the death. But, I, you know, I try to grasp, you know, his existence in, in its totality and also partly as a kind of, you know, an allegory of the way we all were, are in surfing with those kind of tremendous aspirations, you mm -hmm. know, moments of heroism, moments of complete stupidity <laughs> and, and kind of failure. Um, you know, it's all... It's all part of the game, isn't it, actually? So I, I try to sort of be fair to all the different aspects of the whole thing. But I guess, you know, alongside the, the quest, which we all have and we all realize it is nuts, the quest for the perfect wave, there was also, which is even, you know, nuttier in his case, the quest for the perfect woman. And, um, you know, alongside discussing mm. waves, we also discussed women and... Um, you know, he, he was an incredibly eligible bachelor, but everything went wrong with his romantic life, so to speak. And uh, he, from the moment I knew him, he had this kind of notion of seeking, you know, the, the Miss Wright, if you like, or, or the perfect woman, as he used to speak about it. And I would do my best, although, you know, I, I'm no sort of psychoanalyst or agony aunt or whatever, but I reasonably say, well, look, man, you know, uh, show me the perfect guy and I'll show you the perfect woman. But uh, as a matter of fact, he actually took that quite seriously and non-ironically, because I, I think he said it was, yeah, the perfect guy, or oh, that would be a mix of Kelly Slater and Winston Churchill. Huh. Uh, so there you go. So, uh, he was not thrown by that idea at all, but, and he had this fixed idea of the perfect woman. And the, the story that I start off with in, in, in the book, or near, nearly at the beginning, is funny experience I had, you know, back in, in, in the mid nineties when I was in Cambridge, in fact, and I, at the phone rang at something like 3 AM. And uh, it was, I don't know if you know what this is now, but it was a transfer charge or reverse charge call uh, back, back in the day where, you know, the receiver would pay the charge for the call. And uh, I thought, what the hell? And, you know, I had, hello, this is Hawaii calling, will you accept the charge? And I think, wow, what is that? And I heard Ted on the line and I thought, wow, some kind of emergency. It's the middle of the night. He's calling me from Hawaii. I've got to pay. All right. And it was a fortune back then, by the yes. way. Okay. But yeah, I remember. I, I thought, wow, okay, I better take the call. 
And, you know, so I take it. I'm still groggy at 3 a.m. I say, oh, Ted, yeah, what is it, man? And he says, I found her, the perfect woman. You were so skeptical. She's real. You've got to get oh. over here and meet her. No way. <laughs> that was and the emergency. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. Well, that, well, that is an emergency. I mean, look, if I found the perfect woman, I'd probably call Omar and tell him the same thing, you know? But I, <laughs> yeah. it's a big deal. I mean, it's, it's yeah. one of the ultimate pursuits for every man in this world is to find that, and maybe for women as well, but I feel like it's harder for men because we're the pursuers, right? But, um, and I, I mean, I love the idea of the perfect woman, of course. Uh, but can I just make, you know, one caveat about the idea of the perfect woman? Yes. Because what I've discovered is the perfect woman already has a boyfriend. And that boyfriend typically is a very hardcore gangster. <laughs> well, and I like it. And from yeah. the description of your book, and again, we're joined by Andy Martin here. He's, his new book is called Surf, Sweat and Tears. Um, and, it, and it's really a story about uh, Ted Deerhurst, a fascinating character from what you've described. But so, so this perfect woman from the description of your book uh, is the stripper, right? Lola? Yeah, that's right. And so, okay, so let me ask you this. And, and again, so and I'm, I really want to read this book. I need to contact your publisher and get a copy because I'm poor. Um, but uh, so, but the, the, the perfect woman was a stripper. And that's weird to me. I feel like someone like, like him could get almost any woman he wants. I mean, you're, you're a pro surfer, you're, you're literally royalty. Yeah. I mean, your options are limitless and you, and you, for some reason, your perfect woman is a stripper. I'm sure your book delves into that, but then the stripper had a boyfriend. <laughs> is that correct? And that's what... it, it seems like a kind of poor choice all in all. Um, yeah. Yes. yeah, you know, um, <laughs> Slightly. I, everyone makes bad choices, I guess, actually. And, and the thing about <laughs> You know, you could equally say, hey, surfing, God, that's a bad choice, isn't it? But, you know, you, you could defend it. But yeah. the fact is you make this choice. It, it's, it's so important that you have that commitment. And, and I think Ted probably uh, privileged commitment over discretion or even reason. In fact, <laughs> so yes. I love you know, it. Despite... <laughs> never really making it on the pro tour. He persisted year after year until at the age of 39, he was really proud to be the oldest surfer on, on the pro tour at that point. Okay. And, uh, you know, he said, Oh, wow. You know, this is, I, I really attained this kind of status now. Uh, and then, uh, and then he died. Um, but yeah, so in, in a way, you know, all of this is, as we would say over here, bonkers. No, I love it. I, I think it's great. To me, it defines um, someone that, that surfs in, in, a, in a, weird, a weird parallel um, because we're caught up in the moment. Most yeah, surfers yeah. are, and especially people who, who are devoted to a sport. Like you're saying, someone who's so devoted to it that even though they're losing, they're still pushing. Um, yeah. To where, you know, in a strip club, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of us have had that feeling. You know, the lights are perfect, everything's, you know, dimmed up, and you're like, she is perfect. Perfect. I want <laughs> to marry in, her. Yeah, you're in the moment. Um, so yeah. I, I think it's awesome. It, it made sense to him. I mean, you know, very often yeah. I would, because look, in about, you know, 10 years of conversations with him, he, he would listen carefully to things that I said and then completely ignore it. But uh, so, for example, when it came to, to Lola, uh, he, 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 you know, he said to me that the first time I met her, and, and you know, I, I agreed that she was perfect. She was naked at the time, and I, you know, she was absolutely fine. But uh, I, and 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 he said, <laughs> you know, uh, she does love me. I said, oh yeah, okay, well that that is reasonable. Does that have anything to do with the the twenty dollar bills that you're stuffing in that little garter she's got around her leg? And <laughs> and and he said, look, I know you must think that. But the reality is I have to do that just so that the management don't take offense. So the reality is that, you know, whatever question you would bowl at him, he definitely had an answer to it. He had a defense. So you could never, you know, burst his bubble, essentially. Yes. And so in his, in his mind, he reasoned why this is. I mean, he, he yeah. in his own head, he had perfectly good explanations. for that. And look, I mean, as much as, as much as, science could explain a lot of things most things it's still the the whole concept of chemistry right the heart wants what yeah. it wants i mean it's just it's yeah. you know when you're attracted to someone i mean th that's where logic goes out the window right i mean how can you explain who we're attracted yeah. to in many ways in this world 
And, and as Volt, I think it was Voltaire who said it once, right? Uh, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. And, and perhaps that was his affliction, right? Uh, yeah, I guess that's right. The, the other funny thing in, in connection with Hawaii is that, um, okay, so admittedly there was a degree of madness involved in the whole thing, but he was training to be a lawyer at the University of Hawaii when he was not huh. surfing. Wow. And huh. in, yeah, and increasingly he took that very seriously and he was very into human rights. He wanted to defend Hawaiians and he wanted to, to, to defend the North Shore moreover against overdevelopment, for example. Uh, but that meant that he was also very good at arguing his own corner. So when he wanted to point out to him, well, you know, Ted, I'm not sure this is a very good idea going up against Mr. X, for example. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, he would be able to reason his way out of it and convince himself that, oh, actually, that is quite a good idea after all. You know. Oh, that's so, brutal. So you have to respect that. Yeah. Yeah, like you a do. legend, a legend. And Cyrus, <laughs> on his defense, I have yeah. heard you say that in the Gold Club before. So take that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm, look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hating on strip clubs. I love them personally. I just say don't marry the stripper. I think that's where you draw the line. You know, like don't don't pursue a actual serious relationship with the stripper. <laughs> that's me. You know, I, I'll tell you one funny thing about the uh, the, the great club that I went to, which I, I know it's pronounced in Hawaii as Femnu. Actually, I don't know if you've ever been there. On oh, so it was Femnu. I I wanted to ask you, but I'm prepared to name name that name and 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 love it, that place. In, in many ways, a, a pleasure to go there and to find out what, what goes on at Femnu. <laughs> you were doing uh, research. You were doing I, research, I, I Andy. Okay, you're going to say this is bizarre, but the thing I was struck by was the guys as much as the women. And you know, you mentioned the the academy earlier on. And the funny thing is, I just left Cambridge, and I think the exams had just finished. And the thing that the guys reminded me of, strangely, more than anything else, was students in the library revising intently the night before exams, you know, just in case they'd forgotten anything. And they were really, really focused on, you know, taking their exams in anatomy, presumably. But um, the, the degree of, you know, uh, intensity, I, you know, uh, I, I was impressed by. As, and, and in your opinion, Andy, and, and you don't have to answer this because you might want to save it for your book, but so I think the, and correct me if I'm wrong in any of this, but I believe the official record states that he died from a heart attack and, and he died in his bathtub, if I, if I read correctly. In your opinion, how did he actually die? Ah, that is, that is complex. Um, well, what, what I would say is this. Um, the, on the police report, it says died of natural causes. Right. So yeah. if one takes that literally, that, that's the answer. Okay, but having interviewed various people, including the last guy to see him alive, he didn't think it was natural causes for sure. <laughs> and I, I'm inclined to go along with him. Yeah. Crazy. A cover-up. A cover-up. That's crazy. I mean, also, the fact that, okay, let me slip in this extra fact. The fact that, you know, I had been in Hawaii not very long before, and I knew that Ted had been visited by a couple of heavy dudes uh, at his place. He had a condo up at Turtle Bay. And, uh, you know, a couple of guys, very heavy, but extremely polite, had visited him because he told me all about what had happened. And they had, um, and I do tell the story in, in, in the book, and won't give it all away, but Good. Uh, they, at the same time as being polite, they had also been terrifying. And uh, they had asked Ted this, this rather significant question. As, would he, how, how did he think he'd get on surfing on just one leg? And um, <gasps> oh. Ted felt that, you know, he'd rather have two if that was all right with them. And, um, <laughs> so polite <laughs> that, that sounds like a, a conversation back in the day over there yeah. <laughs> like, totally. and i think that was a factor but anyway there you go uh that that that's a that's a fact you know andy I, I, was ted at any point i mean how did he rationalize the danger of dating lola i mean like was he aware that she had a boyfriend who could just you know fuck him up part of my french but i mean was he aware of that or did he just not care i mean it was ultimately okay because the the substance of that 
encounter was to warn Ted off, right? But now the thing is that you or I, in our superior wisdom, would go, okay, that, you know, just as I did with that, you know, guy telling me to back off of a story, I would go, okay, yeah, that seems entirely reasonable. I will back off rather than, you know, get into, have a major kind of encounter. Uh, but Ted, the, the thing about him is, although he initially thought, yeah, okay, that sounds reasonable, uh, he persisted. He persisted in surfing and he persisted with the perfect woman as well. Mm. And he didn't want to, you know, have anyone throw him off his horse. Or if he was thrown off his horse, he would just get right back on his darn horse. So the thing is that from the, the whole history of Ted, he had this whole kind of, um, you know, Arthurian legend. I mean, he came up with this great charity, which was called Excalibur. So uh, he, he imagined that he had a sword in his hand and, and that his, his hero was Winston Churchill. And so he had, uh, you know, models, heroes in his mind, uh, voices, as it were, which were telling him, you know, don't, don't, don't listen to the bad guys, don't back off, just keep going forwards. And I think that, that, that is what happened to him. Crazy. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I mean, I, I'm getting chills because I, I feel like, and you've already described it so well, is that you wrote about someone interesting, not writing about someone that wins all the time. In the sport of surfing, unfortunately, a lot of the guys that win are really boring. They're so boring. <laughs> they have no depth. It's like, you know, I know and, and, and hey, I love Kelly, and, and Kelly yeah, definitely course. is super complicated, but he can he kind of is boring sometimes. Sometimes, but he's also but, can be interesting yeah. sometimes too. But, but I mean, you know, some of the guys that are losing and like, you know, that were on tour forever or almost won, like yeah. man, the grit, the stories, the way the brains functioned, dude. I'm I'm always like, wow, it's amazing, and and it sounds like you wrote about one. It's cool. Oh, mother, you, you really nailed it there. I, th I think that is the essence of, of the whole thing, actually. That you know, in, in in fact, particularly if you are writing, it's much easier to write about something that goes wrong than about something that goes right. And I mean, you know, if I were trying to write a book about Kelly Slater, I find it really hard because you know he does so well all the time. Right. Um, and I mean, his story, <laughs> Kelly's is interesting in terms of a narrative perspective, just because he did have that time off. And then when he first came back, he actually had a real rival. Um, you're right. I mean, especially in this day and age. Yeah, there isn't. Well, and he banged a lot of hot chicks, too. We got to throw that in there. Oh. I'll, give, I'll give him that. We'll give him that. that his, resume's, his resume is incredible. Yeah, that's all I can say about that. <laughs> can I, can I just tell you one funny story about of course. Kelly Slater? Yes. Kelly Slater and me. I mean, I, you know, I've met. Kelly a couple of times and he's an incredibly polite guy actually I must say he might be the most polite surfer I've ever met actually and uh, he's always in my experience tremendously nice to to everyone sure. uh, but the, the funny experience I had on the North Shore okay there's this many many moons ago uh, when I, I would say by the way Ke Kelly still had his hair essentially and you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Far, you might kind of say, okay, you know, particularly in shorts and everything. Okay. We look kind of slightly similar. All right. Okay. I'm stretching it. But the reality is, so I'm strolling about somewhere around pipeline and these couple of lovely young Japanese girls who I think were sisters came up to me and mm. rather reverentially and, and said, are you Kelly Slater? Congrats. And, yeah, and, you know, <laughs> yeah I, I said the yes. stupidest thing, which was no, oh, and uh, I've never forgotten that. But that was oh. my great—that was my moment in the sun, actually. Bravo, Andy! You would have never gone away with it because your accent, probably. But bravo! <laughs> I mean, just to be mistaken for Kelly, especially Kelly with hair—that's a whole you other know, level. That was on the beach. I mean, had had they met me in the water, they would have spotted the difference. I think. <laughs> 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 I guarantee uh, that played in your mind for a long time. <laughs> You're like, still uh, scenario of yes would have been so much fun. Oh, <laughs> uh, by the way, Kelly's Kelly's uh, baldness to me is, is the subject of a whole other book. Uh, just how yeah. immediate and sudden it was. I still think my theory still to this day it might not be right, and, and it's just a pure hypothesis that's, that would, won't be proven unless you ask Kelly himself. Is I think the moment he started going bald is when he retired. And I think, look, Pete, going bald as fast as he did, that could fuck you up psychologically. I mean, I mean, our, our hair, 
I mean, I don't, a woman will never understand what that does to a man when your hair starts standing and all that. It's just, it messes with you so much. And I do wonder if you just like took a year or two off to deal with that. I don't know. Cause it happened almost right then. Like he came yeah. back, he was bald. When he retired, he had hair, <laughs> you know, like, I don't think it's coincidence, but that's just me. He, but you know, I mean, I've got to say that he, 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 he looks good. Yes, he does. He pulls it. And yes, you know, he does. puts me in mind of a sort of younger um, Jean-Luc Picard or, or something like that. Wise captain of the Star Trek Enterprise, you know. Yeah, so he, he's got that kind of, you know, intellectual thing going on. To my <laughs> eye. And he doesn't, he and he's not he aging. He's not aging he because of it either. Age. He looks, he that, looks the same. That is strange, isn't it? That's the deal, I suppose. Okay, you you can got to lose your hair, but you don't have to age. You take that deal. Yeah, see, I, I, see I, I knew his brother, so I saw it coming. I'm like, oh, dude. Uh, really? Sean was so bald, and everyone's like, oh, Kelly. Are both the brothers bald? Or is it just... Yeah, they're Stephen and, and Sean are Oh, that's bald. a genetics. They're all bald. I know. That's funny. That's funny. In my, Andy, in my, could, yeah. it, could it be better for his surfing, though? Do you think hair gets in the way sometimes in surfing? You know oh, what? No. That's a that's a whole nother topic because we some people use yeah hair through more spray I swear or like there's this point in surfing when judging was so um, opinion opinionative that yeah, um, that people way. like almost felt like looking cool got a higher score like I was the weirdest era probably like 90s I'd say um, yeah. so yeah everyone talked like you know maybe longer hair helped or but performance balding helped I don't know that's a whole <laughs> Oh, you're right. You nailed it. <laughs> Service so talk funny. about it. That's so funny. <laughs> a a Andy Martin's our guest, and the name of his book again uh, is is called "Surf, Sweat, and Tears." And, and I'm really looking forward to reading this, um, and especially in this crazy time we are in the world where you need things to do. I'd say reading books should be right up there. Um, Andy, before we let you go, you're based in uh, in the United Kingdom right now. You you told us before we started, you're in Cambridge, one of the intellectual hubs of the world. I believe you're a professor there as well. Um, how is life in the UK? How, how is this craziness treating you since you're not getting in the water right now? Well, to, to, the, to the extent that I'm teaching, uh, you know, it's transferred to online. Um, so rather Correct. as I'm talking to you now, I could be talking to students. On, and to some <laughs> extent, you know, what, I've, ma I've made the shift, I've adapted. Mm -hmm. But, um, and, you know, but nevertheless, uh, for everything I, I've, I've said in a slightly kind of skeptical, critical way about Hawaii, and Omar, you might feel the same way. If there was a plane that could get me over there tomorrow, I'd be on it. But there you go. Totally. Um, I, told, I told that to my wife a couple weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think know, the, yeah, to be ahead, fair, there are a lot worse places than Cambridge. Uh, Much I, you know, worse. And I, I can go out every day with the dog, take the dog for a walk. So that's, that, that, that's the fun I'm having here right now. Beautiful. That is beautiful. Andy, I, I, I thank you so much for taking some time out of your schedule. As a fellow professor, I, I can understand. My life is so busy and crazy right now just because of all these classes going online. It's increased my workload tenfold. Yeah. I would have much preferred still going to, going to school and doing this in person. <laughs> um, but I sincerely thank you for taking the time. And I, again, I'm, I'm really intrigued with this book. And I hope at some point we connect again, just talk surfing in general. I mean, you seem yeah, interesting. Cyrus. Beautiful, Andy. Cheers, uh, yeah, cheers. And by the way, before we let you go, uh, anything yeah. you want to promote besides your book? Are you, are you on social media? Anything else you want to plug? Crikey. No. I, I, you know, I, that, no, I don't think I do Beautiful. want to promote anything in particular. I'm Love just it. happy to, to, to talk to you about, about surfing and, and the life of Ted, I, I guess, actually. It's, been, it's really been a pleasure. The life of Ted. Love it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Andy. That, that well, was thanks so much. super good, fun. Good. Good to meet online. Yes, agreed. It. Agreed. And that's Andy Martin. Uh, take care, Andy. Thank you again. Bye, guys. Let's talk about gambling, baby. It's the root. It's the foundation of sports. And even though there aren't that many sports right now, the folks over at betonline.ag still have plenty to entertain you with. And you can still bid on eSports, American Idol, Big Brother, the elections, the spelling bee. They have a $750,000 poker series. There is still fun to be had. Go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code 
MyPod100. Bet online, your online wagering experts. O-Dog, how are you doing in Santa Cruz, man? How, what's the scene there? I know beaches are open, people are surfing. No you know, one's saying. I, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm going crazy. But um, the new ordinance is way better. It's, it's pretty cool. So you can go surf, but you can't hang around the beach. And it's heavily patrolled. So it's good. pretty cool. Yeah, it's good. Good. I'm in. I, I've been telling police officers, thank you so much. This is way better. And they're really like doing their job. People start to linger. They kick them out. They give them tickets. Um, it's, wor- it's working out really well. And then, good. And then the, the crowd in the water is t- it's much smaller. And then the crowd on the beach is much smaller. So uh, hopefully that's um, helping us get out of this and beat this virus. Yeah, I, you know, and, and what, I think that's what a lot of people are missing with these beach closures and these limitations is that if you just decide to let the beaches be open, you're going to have all these assholes from Arizona, Texas, you name it. They're all coming here for fucking vacation. So the moment you open these, never mind the fact that there are other Californians as well, like from Bakersfield, Fresno, I mean, Sacramento, all these landlocked people who want to go to the beach because they can't do anything there. But the problem is a lot of you are probably infected. And you're just fucking going around spreading this shit even more. And there's no social distancing going on for the most part of these beaches. Everyone's fucking just socializing. So that's a rationale in case you're wondering, why are they closing the beaches? Because we need to fucking maintain space between each other. I mean, even if business is open and they're going to, or they are, dude, like we cannot just transmit this thing rapidly. We still don't know a lot about it. We still don't know what, if there's any for sure treatments for it. We don't even know if you are immune to it after you get it. People are still dying from it. The last time I checked, I believe over 70,000 Americans have died so far in a span of three months, if that. I think it's actually two. It's, you know, so that's the reasoning for it. Um, I don't yeah. know if you saw this. Uh, so the New York Times published a story about two weeks ago, and that's the main reason why I wanted to talk for a few more minutes is I want to call out this fucking asshole. <laughs> His name is, uh, is Zoltan Istvan, and he wrote this article for the New York Times, and it's titled, Should Surfing Be Allowed During the Pandemic? All right. Now, the reason why I want to call this prick out is, A, a he called himself a libertarian. And look, this is just my opinion, but I've never met a libertarian who is self-made, who has literally come from nothing, built, grew up in poverty, built their entire fucking fortune from, from scratch, and then called themselves a libertarian. I've never seen that. There's a great uh, uh, quote, I forgot who wrote it, that said, a libertarian is someone who was born on third base and thinks they hit a triple, Right. And this asshole is one of these people. He called himself a libertarian. I think he's running for president as part of the Libertarian Party or for vice president. He's some weirdo, but he has his platform. He has the New York Times where they're literally letting him write columns. This is not like a, like a reporting piece. This is just his stupid opinion. And the reason why it drew my ire and the ire of many others is that this guy lives in a town in Marin County, California, north of San Francisco, across the Golden Gate Bridge called Mill Valley. Um, I know this area well. I was born there and I grew up there before I went to the East Bay. And he commutes from Mill Valley to go surfing in Bolinas. That's not a short drive. That's like a 45-minute drive. That's not your fucking backyard. You're not entitled to that town. You don't live in that town. So when all this stuff started coming down, um, the residents of Bolinas, just like the residents of most coastal areas, Omar, you're in Santa Cruz, you're the same way. You don't want fucking 100,000 people from San Jose suddenly showing up in your backyard. And, you know, and the residents there were upset. They're like, look, man, this is a pandemic and coming here isn't going to help any of us. It might make you feel better, but you're not, you're doing this for yourself. You're not doing this for the common good. This asshole writes an article saying, like literally detailing how he circumvented police restrictions, how he avoided locals who were like angry just so he can surf his cute little fucking beginner long wave wave that he thinks he needs in order to fucking survive in this world. I and, love it. And the problem is, is that that mentality is so selfish and it's so counterproductive to what we're trying to do. Are you, are you still there? Oh, sorry. Uh, I yeah. think that was my headphones. Uh, because if everyone had that attitude, this thing would never be curbed, right? If everyone had this selfish fucking attitude of, I'm just going to do what I want to make me happy and fuck everyone else, that's literally what selfishness is. And that's literally counterproductive to the societal good, which is what we're going for here, all right? And this prick, again, Zoltan Istvan, fuck you. 
I'll <laughs> welcome you on this show if you want to sit here and debate me. I know you're not going to win this fucking thing, but you're welcome if you want to come. But don't sit here and act like you're entitled to fucking go to Bolinas. That is not your town. You don't live there. You live 45 minutes away from there. And this guy's writing that because he's a fucking surfer and because like that's his wave, which is not even a fucking high skilled wave. It is one of the most beginner easy spots ever. I guarantee no one will be complaining if you drove to Rodeo or drove to San Francisco and Ocean Beach, same distance on a side note. He has to go to fucking Bolinas because he's a fucking lazy longboarder and that's the only place he wants to go. So fuck you. That's my message to uh, Zoltan Istvan. Yeah, that's oh, it. That's my rant. I, I, I fucking love it. Anyways, but hey, this is so the new ordinance in Santa Cruz, right? This is, this is how you and I have been talking about how the stupidity is shining right now, right? Yeah. You and I? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay. So, so the the new ordinance in Santa Cruz is you can go to the beach and hang out on the beach before 11 a.m. and you can also go and hang after 5 p.m. So that that's how like stupid a lot of the people are. Like you, they could still come, but it's so amazing that by by analyzing the commuting and everything, yes. no one's going. Of and course that not. Also, yeah, and like that's that's how proven it was that people were coming from everywhere for a few weeks and it was ridiculous and i think counterproductive the those words you said just is so perfect because i mean people like me are going through fucking so much shit i got mm -hmm. three kids in my house fucking my wife and i are unemployed um we're homeschooling it's fucking it's nuts it's so gnarly and here i'm trying to raise my kids properly and teach them their own ethics um and and participating and helping you know, and, and it's it's challenging. I I'll go down there, and my son will be like, "That guy's not from here. Look at they're they're all hugging, and hanging, <laughs> you know, and drinking beer." This is a couple weeks ago on the beach. Yeah. Oh, there's no way they're breaking the law. Should we call the cops? And I'm just like, "Dude, and what am I what am I gonna say? You're right. You're you're right." <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, you're nine. You're simple. You know. Yeah. And then he's like, "And I can't even go to school." You know, and I can't even see my friends and these idiots. And it's, I'm like, "Whoa, okay, calm down." But you know, um, that's funny. But yeah, counter. He's right. Right, it's fucked up. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. That's a, I, I threw in a little rant on top of your rant. You like that? <laughs> yeah, I love it, dude. Yeah, bring the ramp. Yeah, it's, you know, and, and I guess ultimately it's like, look, a lot of people in this world, you know, commute a long ways and live in shitty places because they want to save money because it is a lot cheaper to live more inland with less desirable weather. But the downside is if something like this happens, this is where fucking your little attempts to fucking save money are going to come back and bite you. You know, like if you want to live by the beach, live by the beach. Don't live fucking two hours away and then like think that you can just go fucking ruin all the locals' lives just for your own personal pleasure. Sorry, man. I mean, there's got to be a line drawn here at some point. Like it's just, especially when there's a pandemic going on and we're trying to fucking contain this thing. So and um, I, think, I think what got people mad and also got the cops so riled up was it wasn't like, you know, they weren't doing it like in a cool way. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, a few weeks ago, people were showing up like groups of 20 in multiple cars with barbecues, pop-up tents, like, like, like it was game on party time during we were, you know, locals are calling the pandemic spring break yeah. in Santa Cruz, dude. And I mean, that, that was just screwed. Like, just, my gosh, like, how, don't you have any self-respect for yourself? Well, they're doing that everywhere. I mean, the whole, Cal the whole, yeah, the whole California coast is like that. I mean, they were having issues at a, at a Stinson Beach. I know they had to close that place down for a little while. I mean, we, we've all heard the stories of Orange County, right. more specifically Huntington Beach, just people mobbing. And that's where, again, I guarantee you, a lot of these people in Huntington Beach, for example, a lot of them probably coming from fucking Riverside and the desert, right? All these hotter places. They just want to get away. And it's like, yeah, I'm sorry, man. Like you fucking chose to live in these places. And in a time like this, you just got to fucking stay there. Tough shit. I mean, it's, it's, this is never going to go away if everyone's just socializing. To put it in perspective, the, the island nation of New Zealand, you now granted they only have like 5 million people living there, but still 5 million people. The virus there is gone because the moment this thing started, they were sheltering at home. They were doing extreme social distancing um, and it shows it works. If we all just stay the fuck away from each other, this will go away because it stops transmitting and the virus isn't going to just live forever. Well, we don't know that for sure, actually, because we don't <laughs> know, have enough research, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And then, but it's, you know, this, this is such a complicated thing, man. This world is just uh, dying right now. I mean, it's, uh, it's, sad, it's sad how much we've come to the realization 
of our dependency on the service industry for everyone's fucking well-being, right? I mean, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's, yeah, this is madness. It is, it is a wild world we're living in right now. Wild world happens every hundred years plus. You know, <laughs> just everyone stick together. We'll survive. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it, it'll be a blip. That's, that's the interesting. It part. will, it will. Yeah. And it'll I know you got to like, go. Yeah. Sorry. Blip. No, it will. <laughs> it will. This will pass just like everything else does. But I do want to, I do want to end on this note. I, I yes. still don't think we are paying enough attention to um, the fact that animal abuse is what caused this whole thing. Like Agreed. I still, I still do not see anywhere an outcry for banning wet markets. Right an outcry for banning wildlife trade, an outcry for fucking eating and murdering endangered, endangered animals. Because contrary to what all these conspiracy theorists are saying, all the scientists, the actual experts on this thing, are pretty conclusive in saying that this originated with an animal called the pangolin. And the reason why they have this conclusion is because the coronavirus is not new. It's not something we just discovered and we're like, oh my God, what is this? We've known about this virus for decades. In fact, some years ago, we would have had a virus for it now if governments did not cut research for it, which drives me insane. But anyways, we, we knew really. about this virus because we had discovered it many years ago in pangolins, in other animals. It lived. The problem is in these fucking wet markets where these heathens are putting like multiple fucking wild animals next to each other. In this case, a poor pangolins in some cage and someone's going to eat it. And then in the cage right next to it, you have a bat, which are strong transmitters of disease. And the theory is that the virus leapt from the pangolin to the bat and then from there mutated to become transmitted to humans. If we just stop abusing animals and this is where this, it goes away. This is where all these fucking viruses come from. SARS came, came this way too. It's, I think uh, swine flu came this way too. Stop fucking mistreating animals. And this doesn't happen. I, I don't understand why there isn't more of an outcry of this, man. I don't, I don't get it. I really don't. Anyways, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm there. I Love agree. you, brother. I'm Love fucking dying. I'm dying here in San Luis Obispo all alone. What are you going to do? At least, at least it's beautiful here. I'm, I'm hanging on to that. Fucking lose, isn't it? No, yeah, uh, what's good? Fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, man. Uh, all good. Hey, great interview. That guy is yeah. the man. That yeah, is, I love Yeah, super good. And I love you, brother. Love Everyone you. out there, stay safe. You. <laughs> <laughs>